0: You are Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
1: And we return here with another episode of Locked On Ravens. I am your host Kevin O'Striker of Ravens Wire, and we return here It is a midweek edition episode of Locked on Ravens, which means it is our mailbag episode and back with us today. He was here with us last week to talk about the pre-draft process and what he thought was going to happen in the 2021 draft. But now we know and he's back here with us to talk about his analysis of the class as well as answer those mailbag questions with us. Cole Jackson is back, Cole. We now know who the Ravens 2021 draft class is. Eight new players, at least from the draft class, in Baltimore Ravens uniforms. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing good, buddy. Uh, it's such a long wait to get to that draft. And then, you know, the weekend happens. There's so much going on. You just try and consume it. And it's it's almost like Christmas because then once it's over, there's, you know, the three-month winter lull where you have nothing to do <laughs> until, the, <laughs> until the weather gets nice. And that's how it feels right now because... Uh, you know we got our class and now it's just time to kind of watch these guys see what what's coming to baltimore but we got a long wait till uh till till july and even august uh depending on how this offseason is going to go and games not till september so uh, it's going to be a wait but i'm i'm excited about these kids that we got
1: yeah the wait the wait is certainly here uh, it'll be a little bit of that lull period as you talked about but you know if it ever gets too boring there are people out there already putting out 2022 mock drafts so if you, if you if there's draft season a bit earlier if anybody wants to get into that draft season the mocks are currently out there for those who want to do that but cole i do want to talk to you first about your overall just understanding and grades almost for this 2021 draft class that the ravens ended up picking i mentioned eight draft picks for this team both on the offensive and defensive sides of the ball, filling out plenty of holes on the roster, not all of them, but it seemed like they had a pretty good grasp on what they wanted to address, where they wanted to address some positions and got players that they were very high on. So Cole, when looking at this draft class from your perspective. How do you think the Ravens made out throughout all three days?
0: So I, I gave it a, I gave it a B plus grade and that, that means like, you know, I leave my A grade draft class for a really long, Draft class, and it's not that we didn't have great picks. I mean, we had not only did we have really, um, you know, highly tuted prospects brought in, but we also made some really nice value additions in, in Tylen Walls and Sean Wade. Um, you know, a couple guys that are really good fits, and Ben Cleveland and Dalen Hayes. Um, you know, if you spend a minute just watching one game of Dalen Hayes in Notre Dame, you see him doing all of those things that the Ravens are going to ask their Sam linebacker to do coverage drops, uh, setting the edge, pass rushing. He, he did all of it there. And so that that's such a great fit. But then there was a few picks, uh, the, the Brandon Stevens pick, the Ben Mason pick that were just, you know, they're head scratchers to me, uh, given, you know, some of the guys that were on the board, uh, guys that I was high on, um, and also some some positions that I, I didn't necessarily feel like we needed to address, like like a fullback. Like that, that one's a hard sell on me. Um, Brandon Stevens, I've gotten to watch uh, two games of his. Uh, he's, you know, a phenomenal athlete, but he's not very pro ready. So it's kind of one of those picks where it's like, oh, you could have went with an offensive tackle there. You could have went in a different direction. So it's, you know, a couple of those that made me kind of scratch my head and and lower the grade a little bit. But you know, I I always say that the Ravens tell you exactly what they think of their roster during the draft. And you know, there was a big outcry after what. Uh, Eric DeCosta had to say when he was asked all the wide receiver questions, how he was insulted. And then he turned around and went Rashad Bateman, 27 overall, and once again with Tylen Wallace. So, you know, he's serious about building this wide receiver class. We now have, or wide receiver group, we now have some studs at wide receiver and some varying skill sets. And I think that is the most underrated uh, aspect of, of the selections com- compared with what we had even through signing Sam Watkins, you know. Bateman brings you a little bit, something different than Watkins, and he brings you something different than Hollywood Brown. And then you've still got Tylen Wallace and Devin Duvernay in it. It, you know, Wallace and uh, Duvernay are seen as slot guys, but they have different skill sets of what they could do in the slot. So it's, it's exciting. Like, I think we have a lot of tools. I think the offensive line got a huge boost. Um, Ben Cleveland's going to slide right in there to left guard, compete with Ben Powers and Ben Bredesen and uh, Bozeman's probably moving over to center, which you know, Kev, if you remember me last offseason, you knew that was something I was excited about. We didn't see it. Now I think we're going to see it. Um, so, you know, I, we definitely strengthened a lot of a lot of areas. So I'm very excited about it. One guy I didn't mention is uh, Odafe Owe. Um, you know, we're looking at uh, just a physical monster. I took uh, I took some time to actually watch a coach clinic that uh, he's, he's at Old Dominion now, but he was Penn State's defensive line coach. Um, and I, I just, I want to see what kind of technique he was teaching, uh, when he was at Penn state and then applying that to when I'm watching always tape and you can really see he's an upfield vertical pass rusher. Um, he uses a wide array of pass rush moves and I think he's going to bring a lot to Wink's defense, high level athleticism. And yeah, the thing that's bugging me about this pick is people are saying it's, you know, he's a boom bust prospect. I don't think that's true at all. I, I see a player that's already very good against the run. I think he's going to continue to be very good against the run. And in my opinion, that makes, you know, there's not a scenario where he's not at least contributing as a run stopper. Now I know that's a disappointment when it's a first round pick, but it still doesn't mean it's a boom bust pick. So I, I think he's going to bring a lot to Baltimore. It's really the the Stevens pick and the Mason pick that, you know, made me scratch my head. I would have went in a different direction and, and that kept it out of a territory for me, but overall fantastic draft. I didn't mention Sean Wade, fantastic value. Um, He's going to fit really well in Baltimore. He played so well in the slot in 2019, struggled out wide in 2020. But the good news is we need slot depth and that's exactly what he's going to be asked to do here. So Wink's going to be putting him in a position where he played his best college football and he played at a much higher grade level than a fifth round draft pick.
1: Yeah, for the Ravens, I I'm on the same train as you, Cole. I also surprisingly actually gave them a B plus grade. You know exactly, and the article on Ravens Wire is there. So if you want to check it out, it's there for anybody to look at. B plus was my grade because I did think Baltimore got a ton of good positional value. But at the same time, you mentioned the Stevens pick and you mentioned the Mason pick. You know, I thought there could have been better positional needs addressed there, better upside players there. But that's not to say that those two players aren't going to become good NFL players. That That's not it at all. It's just the fact that at that point, it seemed like the Ravens could have gotten someone else at the position who... Could have maybe made a bigger impact on day one or maybe even, you know, year two is something that they could have done. But Stevens definitely is someone with that high athletic upside, as you mentioned, and overall a very nice class. But Cole, the Ravens were not done just because the draft Ended did not mean the Ravens were done addressing their roster as the team signed Alejandro Villanueva, the former Pittsburgh Steeler offensive tackle. Now, Villanueva played over on the left side for Pittsburgh. He will be tasked with moving over to the right side. And Cole, you're a big offensive line guy. So I wanted to get your opinion on the signing, you know, the money. Obviously, I think pretty pretty decent money. I don't think it was a bad deal for either side. How do you think the fit for Villanueva is going to be on this Ravens offense?
0: It's a really interesting one because, you know, you look at the type of player Villanueva was in Pittsburgh, and he was a very, very good pass-protecting left tackle, a subpar run-blocking left tackle. And it's kind of like, oh, well, what are we doing in Baltimore when we're running the ball so much and not passing as much? You know, and I I get it at at a base level, you know, what we're looking at here, but I think you need to look at the types of blocks he was asked to make in Pittsburgh all the time. And there's that guy from Sports Illustrated that tweeted out talking about that type of run game translation. But you can't talk about the run game without talking about the, 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 the run concepts because Pittsburgh traditionally has been a, a zone team, a zone stretch team, going all the way back to the Le'Veon Bell years. You know, that was their bread and butter. That is not what Villain Wave is going to be asked to do in Baltimore. He's going to be doing a lot more down blocks, arc releases into linebackers on, on, on the bigger runs that we have. Um, you know, a little bit of zone, but not zone, you know, 20, 25 reps a game. And, and that is a very, very significant difference. It's going to put him in a better position where he can use his size and just down block on guys clear off the line. I think he does that quite well. Um, you know, and there's been talk about him being, you know, washed up and he didn't have as good of a year. I, I think, and that's fine, I'm arguing with a guy on Twitter right now. And it's just one of those things where when you cannot run the ball. And you're not using play action. They were one of the lowest play action teams in the NFL. Um, You know, you are basically telling defensive linemen, don't worry about the run. All we're doing is passing. And all they do is pin their ears back. That is a tough assignment for your offensive line. And that's probably why the Steelers started getting to that point where they're getting the ball out in two seconds all the time. A lot of people can look at that and say, oh, it's because their offensive line couldn't block. Well, no, you're putting your offensive line in a terrible position because the rest of the offensive line couldn't run well. So I think he's going to come in here and that, the you know, just the Lamar Jackson effect where you're reading and reacting as a defensive line, that gives an offensive line a little bit of a boost every single time you're still dealing with tough pass rushers and guys are going to pin their ears back against you, you know, third and long situations, but it's not going to be every snap where it's, you know, second and three and they're still passing the ball that they're tough assignments. And I think, when you go and watch, uh, I, I spent some time watching, uh, I got to give a shout out to Huddle It Up Films on Twitter. He, uh, he has a All-22 video of the Steelers O-line against the Browns in the playoff game. And you can see it in filling away the sets. He's, he's jump setting where he's getting right out on guys because they're trying to get the ball out so quickly. And it, it's one of those things where those blocks are easy to make at the initial point, but if they don't get the ball out, that's a tough block to sustain. So he may be giving up pressure getting beat, but it's more because of the play calling that's coming out, not necessarily his performance. So I think when you factor that in, you factor in the type of things he's going to be asked to do in Baltimore, I think it's going to be a really nice fit. And he's going to bring us that swing ability that Orlando Brown brought where, and I think that's actually why I think he got so much more money than we all expected. And it's not that it was an outrageous amount. I personally thought it was going to be less, but you know, if his agent sees the context of the Ravens, they see Ronnie Stanley going down for, you know, at least a handful of snaps every year they're probably thinking about it as well. You know, our guy's going to also play on the left side a little bit, bump that salary up and, you know, to the Ravens point, they want to have that flexibility, especially if we get into camp and Stanley isn't ready to go because of his rehab, you know, they can bring him back a little bit slowly. Tyree Phillips can play right tackle. So I think when you look at it like that, it all makes sense. I think he's going to be a really good fit. Um, You know, I know it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but I'm telling you that the difference in the run scheme is going to put Bill in a wave in a better position to
1: succeed. Yeah. And I think that's the main part of it is, is the fact that, you know, the difference between Baltimore and and Pittsburgh right now, in terms of what offense they run is very, very different. And I think for a guy who is a two-time pro bowler has shown the ability to play at a high level in an offense like Pittsburgh's now moving over to Baltimore into that different scheme is going to help him tremendously. I think it was a great deal The Ravens and their the rest of the offensive line is going to benefit from Villanueva being in Baltimore. We're going to head into our first break now. And when we return, we're going to be taking a look at the first part of our mailbag. So stay tuned for that and we'll be right back. Hey Ravens fans, listen up Nugenix, the number one selling free testosterone booster at GNC is offering a complimentary bottle to all football fans in America. To get your complimentary bottle of Nugenix Total T, text draft to 231231. This unique man boosting formula is powered by Testafin, which helps boost free testosterone and total testosterone levels and increase energy and lean muscle mass. Plus text now and they'll include a bottle of Nugenex Thermo, their most powerful fat incinerator ever with key ingredients to help you get back in shape absolutely free. Text draft to 231231. Two three one. That's drafted two three one two three one. Message and data rates may apply. This episode is brought to you by Ten Ten, a capsule collection of diamond rings that are responsibly sourced. Ten Ten is an exclusive collection of ten creative styles of diamond rings designed by ten of the most distinctive designers working today, ring sure to bring joy into her life. Using only diamonds responsibly sourced from Botswana, ten female design masters of each produced a uniquely beautiful ring. Ideal for engagement, Mother's Day, or simply a beautiful conversation piece, they're the perfect way to bring light into her life. They're available now through Mother's Day only on BlueNile.com. Just search the words 10 by 10 This collection features high-quality, fine jewelry that will surprise and delight, and it's fairly priced, so you can give her something special and truly meaningful. If you're on the hunt for the perfect, unique range, you treasure forever, you're definitely going to want to check this out. They won't be around for long, so find them now by searching the words 10 by 10 only on BlueNile.com. And we are back with our second segment of this Wednesday edition of Locked on Ravens. Kevin Ostriker is still here with Cole Jackson. And Cole, let's just dive right into the first part of our mailbag, starting off with Brendan Ward who says, did you find some of the day three picks were significant reaches? And he first talks about Brandon Stevens, who was a day two pick, but says developmental raw defensive back at the end of the third. So Cole, what were your overall thoughts on Brandon Stevens? I know you kind of touched on it a bit in the first segment, but what about his ability to maybe grow into a pretty good defensive back in the NFL?
0: No, I think it's a good question. And it's one of those things where teams build their boards and they are higher you know, the Baltimore Ravens may be higher on a guy like Brandon Stevens than 29 other teams, but there's two other teams that are high. And then you don't pick for 30 picks. So if you like Brandon Stevens that much, he's high on your board and you think someone's going to pick him and you really want him. It's one of those things where just because the expert mocks had him in the fifth round doesn't necessarily mean that's where he was going to go in the draft. And, you know, there's a big discussion that happened on Twitter and I actually find it super interesting. And it's one of those things where I think you have to remember, expert mocks aren't going to equal the actual outcome. But it's one of those things where these these teams have intel on who likes who, who's interviewed who. So if they think a team like Philadelphia Eagles picking twelve picks later have an interest in Brandon Stevens and they have Brandon Stevens high on their board, they're probably going to pick them so that they don't have to wait till one thirty one see him get scooped and now okay they don't have Brandon Stevens. So in my opinion, that's what I think happened. I think they satisfied their big three needs with the first three picks and they had a guy that was super high on their board. They see a lot of potential. So they went and picked him because they didn't think he'd get to pick 131. So you know, and and you could say why didn't they trade back? Maybe they tried. There was no one trying to trade up. Um so you know that's how I look at it. Um was he a reach? I I went back and watched some of his film. He's a super super interesting guy because he just transitioned to cornerback. And you know he is raw, no doubt. But he has an act for the football. He looks like a football player. These are some general things that people usually say don't know what they mean, but you know, with, with Brandon Stevens, it's just the truth. Like you go and watch him. He he led the, his team in pass breakups because he's always around the ball. He just knows how to play football. He's one of those guys, you know, you probably grew up playing with and he, you know, no matter where he was on the field, he was making plays. So is that going to transition to the NFL? It's, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting, but you know, I have a, I would guarantee there was a scout sitting in their boardroom banging the table from Brandon Street Stevens. And when that happens, I tend to give them the benefit of the doubt because they've watched every game he's played, every snap he's played. He's talked to all of his coaches, high level worker. I think that's the kind of kid they got. So, you know, I can see it being a reach. It's not where I would have went, but when I went back and watched this film, I see a guy around the ball constantly. He has good awareness. He's not you know running with his back to the ball. Um, And those are things that excite me about developing a cornerback.
1: Yeah. And that's exactly right. Cool. I think that was the mindset I had as well in terms of you're not picking at every single pick in the draft to the point where, you know, for Baltimore waiting from 31 to 94, for example, that's, that's a long, long wait. And there were probably plenty, plenty of prospects that, the Ravens saw go off the board that they could have taken at 94, but just weren't there and weren't available to pick because they were taken earlier. So it's the same thing with Stevens where Stevens gets picked at 104, but, you know, then you have to wait till 131. So if a team has 113, they decide they like Brandon Stevens, they're going to pick them. Then, as you mentioned, Cole, the Ravens don't have Brandon Stevens. So. Cool. Let's next talk about Dalen Hayes. Brendan says developmental edge after taking high floor away in the first. And in this situation, maybe a player like Quincy Roche would have worked better. But I still like the upside of Hayes. Uh,
0: and this is the thing. So they went and got away. He projects as a rush linebacker. So and basically, what Yannick Nagakwe's role was, he's going to be, you know, a true pass rusher, stand up, hand in the dirt, all those things that we see on that side. So once we took him, you need to have someone that's a little bit more versatile, someone that can do those, those drops that Judon did, or sorry, like, you know, just to be clear, I don't think Hayes is going to step in and start day one like Judon did. You're probably going to see Typo take a lot of those, a lot of those snaps, but you want someone that's going to have that skill set to develop to eventually become someone like Judon. So if you look at Quince Roche from Miami, he was more of that rush linebacker that we already got in a way. I think they wanted to go get that versatile cat that can develop those different things that they're going to ask him to do. You know, when he gets in there, he's going to be dropping into coverage. He's going to be setting the edge, everything that Judon did. Um, again, you know, probably not from day one, he's a fifth round pick. You know, we have to be careful with our expectations, but I think that's what they saw in this pick versus, uh, versus another guy. I think they wanted to come out of this draft with a rush linebacker that fits, you know, that role on, uh, that was vacated by Nagakwe, and then find a guy that fits the SAM role that was vacated by Judon. That's exactly what they did with the skill sets in Owe and Hayes.
1: Yeah, cool. I completely agree. I think the first thing that popped out for me when I was looking at Dalen Hayes in the pre-draft process was, The fact that he is extremely versatile and he can do a lot of things Matthew Judon did as you mentioned you know people look to a player like Tyus Bowser I think and you know probably say oh they already have that Tyus Bowser can can drop into coverage and you can do this and that well it does not hurt to have as much versatility on the defense as humanly possible and Don Martindale loves his positionless defense so you know do you want to overlap skill sets with OA and Roche or you know some other pass rusher like that or do you want to give yourself options the Ravens you know if if Justin Houston is still in play for the team, if it's someone else, Melvin Ingram, Ryan Kerrigan, Olivier Vernon, whoever it is, a veteran who can come in there and rush the passer. Sure. Like, that's great. You know, you still have that pass rushing threat. But I think that Hayes gives the Ravens someone who can really move around the field at will and provide them with a lot of different looks. But finally, Brendan asks about Mr. Ben Mason, who says fullback, extremely limited pass threat in the fifth could have gotten as an undrafted free agent. Yeah, this was an interesting one to me. They listed him as a tight end coming out of school on some of the draft networks, but it did seem like a bit of a reach here.
0: So I'll be straight up. Didn't like the pick. Wanted, uh, I really wanted Stone Forsythe. Uh, the offensive tackle he ended up going to the Seahawks at 208 if i'm remembering correctly um like it should have been the pick you know we basically picked a guy that is another pat ricard i don't know if anyone saw but pat ricard actually tweeted out the uh spider-man pointing gif when we made the mason pick because he's probably going what the heck um you know i did go back and watch a little bit i haven't dove into him yet i will eventually um you know what i think the ravens are looking at and i'm not necessarily in agreement here is they're looking for someone to come in and play that H-back role that they lost in Hayden Hurst. But I think what you're not going to get is the pass-catching threat, which is really what made Hurst so great as a move tight end. Um, So, you know, I started thinking about, okay, what role could he fit? And it's kind of like they could use 31 formations, three running back, one tight end, where, um, you know, they have Ricard in the backfield with, you know, a running back like Gus Edwards, and then they're motioning Mason as like a sniffer blocker. Um, which is some of the blocks that Ricard makes. And you also have Boyle on the field, so you can get really heavy like that. Um, so, I mean, that's an interesting element if you want to look at kind of what the Ravens were thinking. I just don't think uh, it just was redundant to having Patrick Ricard. It's either pick Ben Mason to be your fullback or pay Patrick Ricard to be your fullback. And I already paid Patrick Ricard, so I really didn't see it. Um, you know, we could be looking at a guy that, you know, ends up stubbing his toe and getting on injured reserve. Um, to, to kind of develop, learn the play back, playbook, uh, also learn from Ricard. Um, but overall, didn't like this pick. There were a few other directions I would have went. Number one was being Stone Forsythe, get that developmental offensive tackle, high-level pass blocker. Um, not to, you know, talk too much about a guy we didn't pick, but Stone Forsyth's player comparison is actually Alejandro Villanueva. Super great pass protector, needs to develop a little bit more in the run game. I thought it would have been a really nice fit. Um, because I assume they were picking Bill and so I'm with you I thought this was a reach I didn't like the pick it was probably my least favorite pick of the of the draft but you know if I'm looking at what they're seeing at it I think they're they're thinking of going heavy having two full backs on the field at the same time
1: Yeah, cool. And let's let's keep it on Ben Mason here because Jaren F asks a question. How do we perceive the Ben Mason pick? Is he a Pat Ricard replacement? Will he be the primary fullback while, while Pat goes back to the defensive line? Seems like a strange pick for a guy that may have been an undrafted free agent. So we just, you know, got into that a bit. Cole, You talked a bit about it. But it is interesting to think that both Ricard and Mason can play on the defensive line and the Ravens did not invest the pick into their defensive line in this draft. So kind of reshaping a bit about the question here that JNF asks, just because, you know, we already talked about Mason a bit. So do you think that this pick has anything to do with the Ravens maybe wanting to use Ricard or Mason a bit more on the defensive side of the ball?
0: Well, you know, the beauty of that type of flexibility is how it impacts your game day activations. Because when you're activating two fullback spots, not only is it impacting, um, you know, who who else you can activate, you got you to scratch six guys. But if you then leave out a defensive lineman, because you have two guys that could theoretically jump in and play some snaps on defense, it really does help you with roster flexibility on game day. I think both could also contribute on special teams, which those last kind of, you know, bottom of the roster spots are usually guys kicking around and same with game day activations. You know, we've seen so many times where a highly skilled player is inactive like James Crochet at the end of last year, um, just because they're not making an impact on special teams. So I think that has to be factored in. Um, I would be a little bit surprised to see them do that. But, you know, we know the Ravens love versatility and I'm sure they're, they've got that, you know, in their mind. Um, but it was interesting they didn't go D-line um, or interior defensive line, I should say, um, at all. So that, that is definitely interesting, but you know, it's, it's tough. Cause I, I don't know if Ricard played any regular season snaps on defense last year, you know, like he kind of got away from it. Um, but they could be looking at the same thing with Ben Mason. It's like, you know, play a little bit of that move tight end fullback to fullback packages and play some defensive line. You, you could see it theoretically,
1: Yeah, it is really interesting to think about just because of the versatility that both offer, not only, you know, playing in multiple positions on the offensive side of the ball, but also on the defensive side of the ball. But we're going to head into our final break here. And when we return, we're going to be answering the final batch of our mailbag questions. So stay tuned for that. And we'll be back soon. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC slash MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. No sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their run to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit you bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Bilt Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. Did you know that Bilt Bar has nine delicious flavors, including coconut, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, and more. So there's something for everyone. Not only are Bilt Bar flavors the best tasting, but they're healthy too. Order today and get that raspberry or mint brownie or whatever you like. Don't know what to get your mom for Mother's Day? Well, most moms love Bilt Bar. Send her a box and you'll be sure to be her favorite at least for a while until you get her the next box of Bilt Bars. Go to BiltBar.com and use promo code lock 15 and you'll get 15% off of your first order. Use promo code lock 15 for 15% off at builtbar.com. And we return with our final segment of this Wednesday edition of Locked on Ravens. Kevin is still talking here with Cole Jackson. And Cole... Rounding out our mailbag here, starting off with Zev Moses, who asks, do you think EDC's wide receiver smokescreen affected Green Bay, New Orleans' decision not to trade up? If so, was this one of the better pre-draft lies we've seen pay off?
0: <laughs> no, I uh, I couldn't believe it when Rashad Bateman was the pick. I remember uh, our boy Jay-Z at The Athletic, he tweeted uh Ravens fans are going to be happy with this one. And I was like, Oh my God, are they going wide receiver? And then it came across the ticker. Um, Yeah. I I didn't think they were going to go wide receiver. I really didn't. So if, if that was his intent, it certainly worked on me. Um, I I think it definitely. um, and, And like I said, when we were talking about the Brandon Stevens pick, these teams are getting Intel on who likes who and, you know, it's stuff that will never be reported, but it's just kind of the ins and outs of the game and, you know, you know, guys that are teams that are high on certain guys and that could impact you trading up or trading down or, you know, how you maneuver the board. So I would think if, if a team like, I mean, Green Bay may not have been looking wide receiver, God forbid they help Aaron Rodgers, but a team like the saints, I think we're definitely looking at a wide receiver and they may have been thinking like, why would we hop? Why would we go up, you know, trade with the, the Browns or the Jags? If we can just, you know, the Baltimore is going to go with the defensive lineman probably. So you know, I, I think it definitely was a smokescreen because it worked like, <laughs> it worked on me like a germ.
1: Yeah. And it's funny how, you know, we, we talk about, these pre-draft press conferences and saying, look, they're not going to tell anybody anything. They don't want, it's not smart to put anything out there. And then, you know, Eric DaCosta puts this out there and it's just like, well, I mean, it makes sense. Like, obviously the team is going to believe in the guys they have on their roster. And then the Ravens pick two wide receivers and it's like, okay, do they really? Because it seems like now we're coming down to a battle of Miles Boykin and James Perche for the final roster spot. Two guys who Eric DaCosta said he was insulted to, you know, hear all this slander be said about them. So if it actually was the intention, and look, we'll probably never know, or we might hear it, you know, very many years down the line in some tell-all. It it was something where if it was the true intention of Eric DaCosta, it was masterful. But we're now going to get into a question from Jay Brock, who asks... Do you think that the Ravens missed out by not drafting Aziz Ojalari? Also, with the addition of Anafe Owe, do you see the Ravens' sack production increasing even though he wasn't able to get to the quarterback? And I want to acknowledge his ability to pressure the quarterback like crazy. I did think that Ojolari was the better pick over Owe. I know Ojolari did have those knee concerns that had him fall into the second round, which are totally understandable. If you're not comfortable with the medicals, you're not going to take the player. Cole, it's interesting because ojalari was a player who many linked to the Ravens in the pre-draft process.
0: Yeah, and Ojalari was actually, I think his player comparison from almost everybody was Yannick Ngakwa. It's so a what better guy to to kind of fill in. Um, you know, I see them actually pretty similar. I, I kept seeing on uh on Twitter people saying, you know, ojalari can't play the run. Ojalari isn't aggressive. Then I turned on his tape and it was the complete opposite. He was, you know, getting his nose in there and doing a lot of the things that I actually see from Owe. I think they're very similar players. They're uh, they're guys that can set the edge, play the run really well, but they're athletic as all heck. They have good burst off the ball, um, you know. So I, I think it's I think very similar players. Um, the fact that Ojolari dropped down to pick 50. Um, so, you know, that's what mid second round. I think the knee concerns got a lot of teams. I'm wondering if maybe they took him right off the board. Um, unless it's at a point where, you know, you're picking him in the third round, obviously that wasn't going to happen. That's how I see it. It, It's kind of like if you stack up two players on a board um, and you have, you know, say Owe and Ojolari, you know, 27, 28 overall on your board, but then you have a tiebreaker where you're looking at a guy with injury concerns, um, you know, it may be enough for you to take someone else. So I'm wondering if that's maybe what was happening with Ojolari, you know, other teams also could have been doing that, just not you know, willing to uh, take on the injury risk. I really do think that's what dropped him down. Um, You know, was it a mistake? I don't think I'd call it a mistake because I really like the kind of player Owe is. I think they're very similar. um, And I think they got a lower risk in terms of uh, of the injury front. So I I like that aspect a lot. Um, In terms of sack production, you know, it is one of those interesting things because you watch him and you see him, you know, he had, on, a, on just 160 pass rush snaps, he had 15 pressures and five QB hits. And so, you know, he's still getting to the quarterback. He's still causing disruption. Um, one thing I noticed um, that I think should really be considered by people in the first half of the game that I watched first, it was against Maryland. Um, he had four pass rush snaps in the first half where he was the inside penetrator on a stunt. And then he also had three additional snaps where he was chipped by a running back or a tight end. So that's telling me two things. It means if you're getting chipped consistently by the opposing offense, it means they're keying on you. You're part of their game plan. And they're, you know, it's not the same as being double teamed, but they're, you know if you're getting chipped, it's, it's gonna impact your rep. And then if you're constantly taking reps where you're the inside penetrator, you're playing the team aspect of this, where, you know, you're trying to open up an opportunity for the loop and the stun. So if he's cutting inside and the defensive tackles coming around you, you're basically forcing a double team to open something up for your teammate. So I think that's extremely relevant because that's four pass rush snaps right there where his job was not to get to the quarterback. It was to run the stunt. So I think you'll see him do similar things in Baltimore where he's going to be tasked to do very specific things. So that actually really excites me because I'm seeing a guy that's playing for the team. He's taking on a role and he's executing it. And that's exactly how, Wink runs his blitz defense you know there's not a lot of room for freelancing everyone has very specific roles so that really excites me to be completely honest um and what excites me the most and where i do think we'll see some pack production is he is just so athletic that you know if he's getting those one-on-ones or some of those unblocked looks that we saw from other guys he's gonna get there and he's gonna get home
1: yeah and and for oa he's someone who you know i I think ravens fans have kind of they've gotten over the whole pressure thing it's like oh my god like we, we hear it all the time the ravens get to the quarterback they just can never bring him down or bring in another player who can do that but i think that for oa you mentioned it cole the role that he's gonna play in baltimore is going to be more for the team at first i think and he does have some versatility he was a disruptor in college though it's not like he wasn't making an impact on the football field that's why he was taken in the first round in part also the the athletic traits are off the charts but you have someone who, you know, let's take Derek Wolf, for example, someone who has played in Baltimore for the past year. Back when he was in Denver and he did it to an extent in Baltimore as well, you know, he and Von Miller both talked about how, you know, Derek Wolf would open up that opportunity for Von Miller to come around and get the inside loop and just go and get to the quarterback. And Von Miller said, you know, Derek Wolf, you know, I owe him probably like 10 sacks. So it's not maybe a matter of, right, the guy's probably not going to get 8, 10, 12 sacks in his first year. Maybe he does. Maybe O.A. comes in and just dominates, gets the quarterback. But he's able to play a bunch of different roles on this team, which I think is one of the most important things. But finally here, our last question from Brett Gayhart says, Atlanta just declined Hayden Hurst's fifth-year option. They picked up an undrafted tight end as well. If willing to pay, would you make a deal to bring him back? Instant plug-and-play fills the need he left, knows the system.
0: You know, it'd be something if the Ravens traded hers for a second-round pick, pick J.K. Dobbins, get a lead back, and then you know turn around and flip a six and get hers back. <laughs> but uh, you know, I I would I would welcome it uh, absolutely. I think that third tight end, um, what it really does for you is add an element. I don't see it happening. I don't think the Falcons will uh, give up on him, even though they did get Pitts. Uh, the one thing is that you know they can use because Pitts is so athletic and can split out. They can you know technically have. Uh, 12 personnel, one running back, two tight end, but it still looks like 11 personnel because Pitts can technically line up as a receiver. So I think they will keep Hurst. I think they probably feel they gave too much uh, up for him in terms of giving up that second round pick. And the real reason is, you know, even if they don't bring him back, they're going to turn around and get a comp pick anyway. So the Ravens would have to be giving probably one of the fourth round picks. They do have a bunch of fourth round picks uh, because they, they got one in the, in the trade back from the Cardinals. They'll get two in the compensatory pick process for, uh, for Judon and Yannick next year. And then they also already had two. So I think they're looking at five fourth round picks. So technically they could give up their own fourth round pick, go get Hurst back. Um, You know, I don't think they'll do it. It would be, I would actually probably be okay with it because of uh, how many picks they do have. They currently are setting out like 10 picks in the next draft. So, you know, giving up one, even though it is a mid round pick, maybe a little bit more than it is value. You know, you're bringing in a guy that's plug and play. He's going to make your uh, defense more diverse and he's affordable, but I think they're going to use their remaining money on an edge player, like a Houston, like a Kerrigan, that type of thing. And I don't think they'll put it, uh, put it into a tight end.
1: Yeah, and I think with that, too, I mean, we, we talked about Ben Mason for a while. I just think having, you know, someone who the Ravens invested a fifth-round pick in already on the roster, you also have a bunch of other guys competing. Hurst is Hurst is obviously better th- than any of those guys, but I think the Ravens just want to see what they have in-house. Jacob Breeland, Eli Wolf, Eric Thomas, and even Josh Oliver, who they traded for. You know, there's going to be a battle at tight end, and I also think, well, you mentioned it, the the money that they have right now is probably going to go into that last edge rusher spot for them I think houston would be someone who fills that role really well i've been banging the table for him for two years so i i would hope you know maybe they're thinking about it but i do know he might demand a bit of money on the open market but overall yeah i think that it's an intriguing option to bring back hurst but at the end of the day right now i probably don't see it happening but that's all i have for you today cole thank you so much for coming on the show here over these past couple of weeks the draft season obviously exciting and We'll go through this lull period, and then as the season starts to get into full swing, I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about.
0: Yeah, I know. I said it when we got on the call last week. I missed you, buddy. (laughs) But uh, no, looking forward to doing some more shows in the future, even if we do have a bit of a lull. But uh, take care of yourself and everyone listening. Uh, Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other.
1: Absolutely. Thanks so much, Cole. Let me get back here tomorrow. It'll be more Ravens talk from us continuing to dive into the 2021 draft class. So stay tuned for that. And I will see you tomorrow.